0: Is that on? Yes, i got that on. Well, it is, let me put that out of the way, I'm not planning on doing any PowerPoint presentations, but it is great to be back and see some old friends and of course we did have a wonderful time at men's camp, so thankful for this church, so thankful for all that you do and just for your prayers and your support and just encouragement and uh, just the friends we've made over the last few years and of course I know your pastor's away and he's coming back soon, Uh, a week on Wednesday that'll be Brother Eric And it's uh, anniversary this Wednesday, Uh, if you could make a note of that and please get it right next time. (laughs) I'll be telling Pastor Craig. (laughs) I'm kidding. But it is wonderful to be, I always feel amongst friends uh, when we're here. I know we haven't been able to come often, but uh, there are individuals in this church that we've seen a number of times that I have close friendship with it, I'm so thankful that, but it's good to be here, uh, nearly 18 months after we were last here, and yet see so many of the same faces faithful to church, that is a wonderful thing, because sometimes I will go to churches, and you haven't been for a couple of years, and the, the faces that you knew, they've gone, they've vanished, they've moved on, so it is so good to see so many of the same faces. Let me just take just a couple of minutes, just to give you a quick update on our work there, so if anybody doesn't know me uh, uh, yet, um, you would usually know my wife, she's the wonderful half of our partnership, but she couldn't be with me. Uh, today we need her to drive the minibuses and do some work, you know, it, she's my wife, she needs to earn a keep and you know how all that goes, <laughs> so oh, that's That's at the cat among the pigeons now. But no, I, I do miss having her with me, but it's good to be here. But we're uh, from the Riverside Baptist Church, Exeter, I'm Stuart Harvey, I'm the pastor, my wife Dawn, and our youngest daughter Eleanor, she's 19 now, she still serves in the ministry uh, there with us. And I've been in the ministry there for eight years and uh, the Lord is blessing. And He's helping us, and He's guiding us, and He's leading us. But you know, when we take a look at George Mueller's faithfulness this morning, thank you for Martin for for bringing that before us. It reminds us of how 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 little we are depending on God in the same way that He did. And I, I appreciate your continued prayers for us on that. The Lord is blessing just the other week. I don't know whether you've had a chance to get the updated prayer letter or yet. We had three uh, people baptized: one uh, adult and two young people were baptized, and uh, it was it was the a young man from our bus ministry was saved a couple of weeks ago, but he's been coming for, for about uh, six months now. And his father, Dean, well, it was my privilege to baptise him, he got saved on January the 15th. And the reason I bring that to your attention, he is the first parent of a bus ministry child. Five and a half years we've been running that bus ministry. He came to our carol service just before Christmas, was impacted by the message, came back to church in January, got saved midway through January, and we were able to baptise him just two weeks ago. So it was a milestone for us because we are so desirous to reach the young people for Christ but secondarily to that we've always had a heart to try and get and reach the parents of some of these young people. So that was an absolute first for us. So we're rejoicing and thanking the Lord and he's attending church faithfully. Would you pray for his wife Kirsty? She's coming to church but not saved yet. So all three of the children are coming, dad's saved and we're praying for Kirsty now. So if you'd join us in that. So we're still doing our regular outreach on the streets. Great to see that still programmed up there every week, uh, visitation out on the high streets of Exeter. And then once a month we have a bigger uh, get-together to try and do that street work, tracting, preaching, singing. And we're trying to get our door-to-door visitation program back going again. We've got a couple of people who are really interested to do that. So if you would pray about that. So the children's ministry continues to grow, the bus ministry and that side of things. There are about, I think, 45 children under that at the moment. We have more children than we do adults. We'd love to, we'd love to get that balance back right. So pray for us in our outreach to adults from Exeter. We are seeing visitors at the church. We are seeing saved people coming and giving us encouragement. Some have joined the church. But we truly desire us to see lost adults saved. Now, pray for us specifically in that area. Pray the Lord would show if there's some kind of lack on my part, our part, anybody's part, something that we should be doing and we're not. I'm not a creative guy, but pray the Lord would give wisdom in that area, please. We, we really want to reach as 125,000 people, roughly the population of Exeter, and, and we're not even denting that for the Lord at the moment. We're not even scratching the surface. And so, i love the Lord to show me what it is that we could do and should do and we'd value your prayers for that. So that said, if anybody has any specific questions regarding our ministry, I'd be more than happy afterwards to take time to answer that, to update you, to do whatever. We usually send a prayer letter once a quarter, and hopefully, God willing, you get a chance to keep up with what's going on there and then. So pray for my wife who's there uh, today. Pray for Joseph, a young man who's preaching for me today in the pulpit. appreciate him and enabling me to come out here and spend some time with you guys. Now, as Brother Eric said, first, I must take my watch off because as, as you know, it's very important that a preacher takes his watch off. You know what that means, absolutely nothing. But God willing, I'll be able to stay on, stay on time and on track for you uh, this morning. Thank you so much for inviting me to come over in your missions month. It really is a privilege for me to come here and a privilege for me to be able to preach uh, for you this morning. And I pray the Lord will bless his word. Now, if you have your Bibles, would you open please to Mark, chapter 5 mark chapter 5 i will come to it in a moment but if you have your bibles open there i was saying to andrew yesterday in some ways we have to depend upon god's word to instruct us because what what right do i have to come here this morning in a missions month and preach to you guys about missions i'm an englishman in england And then we come and preach about missions and I'll preach and I'll probably be... You know, who's going to go and who will go for me and who's going to surrender to the Lord? And and then you look back at me and there's an Englishman who went as far as England to reach the last. But to be fair, I had my bags packed. I was ready to go away. I was ready to go abroad and God said stay. So I stay because God told me to stay. Um, But I pray that this morning... Whatever I say, you'll not just look and say, well, that's all well and good for you. You haven't left your home. You haven't left your family. You haven't gone to foreign fields. You haven't gone abroad or whatever it is. I pray that it will be the Lord's Word that helps us this morning. The Spirit of God that I pray brings conviction because I know that He will. You say, are you assuming what God is going to do? No, because I already know God wants us to go. And I already know that in amongst this room here, it doesn't matter whether young or old. I know Brother Dan Abel, not with us this morning. But I remember when Dan told me about what age he was when when he followed the Lord's will and left his home and went on the mission field. So I can look out this morning and I know this. Somebody or multiple people in here this morning, God is already impressing upon your heart, already before I even preach, that there is somewhere for you to go. There is a mission field home or abroad for you to go to, I already know that because God's Word reveals that to us. So, I hope that you'll pray with me this morning that even through my inept words, that as God's words come forth, that somebody somewhere in here will still surrender to that conviction to go and reach a lost and dying world. Now... Given the constraints of time, I'll scrap any jokes. Those are here, last time I tried to make a joke about an obscene clone falling, that just didn't translate into Irish at all. So, we'll scrap the jokes and get straight to the message this morning. Mark chapter 5, if you have your Bibles open, I want you to think about this. Sit down, young man. I'm not talking to you, Dean. Sit down, young man. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he will do it without consulting You or I. Those are the words of Dr. John C. Ryland in 1780 to a young man before him. He was a Baptist minister and he spoke to a young man before him whom he described as a miserable enthusiast. That young man was a a poor cobbler. He was um, a struggling Baptist minister. He was a man who struggled to get ordination because his sermons were so boring. I take great comfort in that. (laughs) Do you know who I'm referring to, William Carey. William Carey, the father of modern missions, as he is called. And Dr. John Ryland, it wasn't that Dr. John Ryland didn't love God, it wasn't that Dr. John Ryland didn't love the Word of God, but Dr. John Ryland didn't believe that the Great Commission given by the Lord Jesus Christ to his church was relevant for them in that age. He believed it was for the apostolic era only. So, a genuine saved man of God looked at a young man full of zeal and heart and desire to see the world brought to Jesus Christ, a man of God said, sit down, young man, basically, and shut up and we'll ask you to speak when we want you to speak again. You're too enthusiastic, a miserable enthusiast. Can you imagine William Carey being described as that? He became the father of modern missions. Those derogatory comments were made to him. He was a man, but he would not be daunted, he would not be distracted, and he would not be dissuaded from the fact that he absolutely believed that Jesus Christ meant what he said, and he said what he meant, and it was for each and every one of us throughout the whole of the church age, and it was Christ's commission to us and not just the apostles. And William Carey did finally, I'm sure you're familiar with him, and I know that uh, Andrew shared with you about William Carey. He's well known. We often talk about him. But he launched himself forward as an incredible missionary. He put his money where his mouth is, if you will. He started a missionary society. And even with a miserable marriage, and those of you who are familiar with that, he launched himself forward. Uh, I don't mean those of you who are familiar with that in your own marriages, by the way. <laughs> I mean those of you who are familiar with William Carey's marriage. Let me be <laughs> very, I'm sure you're all happily married and the sun was shining in every home this morning, I have no doubt. But um, The reason I reference William Carey and the reason I reference John C. Ryland is, you know, John Ryland's uh, conviction was a result of what was then dominant Protestant Calvinist theology at the time that God was not calling us to missions and God was going to drag them all across the precipice of the church and get them all saved. Now, I believe and I hope I'm in the right church this week. That is not our theology. That is not what we believe the Bible teaches and we understand the Great Commission. But I do wonder whether we have possibly, even with that desire, um, started to pay lip service to missions, become a little lackadaisical towards missions. I mean, we'll give our, our money, don't get me wrong, and we'll pray for missionaries. But God wants us to go. And we cannot derogate to a secondary position. Local evangelism and global evangelism is the responsibility of each and every one of us in here today. Not just the responsibility to pray for missions, not just the responsibility to financially support missions, but the responsibility for us to actually go. And it's often said, and you'll have heard it a million times before, we have a commission to go, we need a reason from God to stay. So if you will, the reason we're all in this room this morning at the moment is because God has given every one of us a reason to be here or is working on the hearts of one or two of you actually and unsettling you. That's what God does, doesn't it, before he calls? Unsettling you about this matter of local, national, international or global missions worldwide. So it must never be secondary. It must never be sidelined. It must always be the primacy of primary importance of every single local church. And for the Bible Baptist Church of Bowen it's just an encouragement to say the same to you again this morning. Because really, you've had some wonderful speakers, and I know Brother Fagali has been here, and that's an incredible ministry that they have. But the danger is, let me say this, the danger is for us today, we think, oh yeah, Iraq's closed. Afghanistan, closed. Syria closed. Closed. Isn't that what we do? Yes, we, we can't get in, but we do need to reach Muslims and Syrians and, and we need to send them. God said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. God said, none of it's closed. And what I'm saying is, we have to be careful that we don't develop a mindset that makes us no different in practice then to John C. Ryland. And we start saying, when some young man or woman gets up and says, I'm going to Syria, I'm surrendering the Lord, sending me to Syria. Uh, No, that's a closed country, you can't get in. Do you you see what I'm saying? We have to have our mentality open, just as we saw with George Mueller this morning. God is at work, God is great, and God is able, and God may well take a Western European and say, go to Iraq. Now, caution, of course, and wisdom would have to be exercised. But all I'm asking this morning is can we make sure our minds are open so that we don't become those who shut down, by default, maybe those whom God has called into places where we may think that's not a place to go. So I want to speak this morning really more about what is missions about? What is it about? Because I don't believe there can be a more relevant or a more urgent question. You say, why? Because I don't know what the population of Balancholic, but I know most of them aren't in here this morning. I know what the population of Exeter is, and I know the tiniest fraction of 1% will be in church at Riverside Baptist Church this morning. So all I know is this, we're still not getting it done until the Lord comes back. So sometimes I want to say what is it about, because there's nothing I can tell you about missions, unless you got saved yesterday, that you probably don't already know. We can have a plan, we can have a program, a commission, we can have a calling, we can have a mandate, we can have a man, and all of these wonderful outlines. But what's it about? Quite simply, and bringing it back to the simple basics for young and older, alike, what is missions all about. I think it's urgent, and I think it's somewhat amazing and incredible that in this day and age it even needs defining, but I believe that it does. You see, with all that God has revealed through His Son, with all that God has revealed through uh, the Scriptures to each and every one of us, obedience to the missions call, obedience personally must become a primacy again in our lives as Christians. So, because the, the gospel, the saving gospel, the death, burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is the only hope this world has. And we have to redefine that. Do you know what? Because NGOs, non-governmental organisations, they're going out, they're providing tents and food and shelter and Christian aid and Muslim aid and all of the red crescent. And the danger is that we think, look, the world is taking care of the world and we've just got to settle in, we've got to be faithful to our local church, come on Wednesdays or Thursdays, whichever night you have, and Sunday morning and Sunday evening, support the missionaries, pray for the missionaries. And that's God finished with us until he comes and we're raptured to be with him. But I don't think that's the case, folks. I think what we need to just basic down to is this. What's missions all about? Missions is all about Christianity. Christianity is all about Christ and therefore missions, Christianity and Christ is about what the Bible, the 66 books that reveal the Lord Jesus Christ, what the Bible says it's about because it's a term, isn't it? Christianity, it's a term. It's used all the time but it's rarely defined. And in fact, do you ever have the situation sometimes where you're, you're trying to deal with somebody or your family or your friends or your workmates or your colleagues or your schoolmates and they know you're a Christian and you say something or do something and you know it's biblical and they say, that's not very Christian. Does that happen over here? That's not very Christian. That's not a Christian thing to say. That's not a Christian way to behave. That's not very Christian. And you say, well, it is though because it's biblical. The problem is the world outside of the church has started to define what Christianity is. And therefore by extension the world is starting to define what the mission of Christianity is and the danger is through the world's definition we've started adopting that and bring it to the church and subconsciously we're buying in to what the world's definition of the Christian mission is. You know, feed the homeless, look after the aged, water for the children, Samaritan's Purse, Christian Aid. If we do all of those things then we're good Christians but friends, we're missing it, we're falling short. We settle in for a good thing in place of the best thing. We settle in for one thing instead of a place of the only thing and that is the life-saving gospel, the spread of the gospel around the world. And sometimes missions is defined by these assumptions. Let me read a few to you. Some think that our mission is redefining or reordering the politics of a nation. Our mission as a Christian is to get involved with politics and change this nation, bring it back to the godly nation it once was or wasn't. And they think that's the mission. Some think our mission is redefining or reordering the social injustices of the nation. We've got to fix our education system. I'm sure it's as bad here in Ireland as it is everywhere else. We've got to fix the the care for the aged. We've got to fix the care for the children. We've got to fix these social injustices. Some think that our mission is redefining or reordering the morals of the nation. There's no doubt about it that Ireland is becoming as amoral as the United Kingdom is and it's not that morals are a bad thing, morals are a good thing, but that's not our mission to fix the morals of the nation. We should be a moral people because of our Christianity, because of our Bible teaching, but the mission is not to make the society all around us more moral in an amoral period of time. Our mission is not to fix the education of the nation. That's not our mission. These are all good things, but it's not the mission. It's not to change the philosophy of a nation, the thought process of a government and a society and a community. That's not our mission. Some people think that the mission is to redefine or reorder the local church. That's not our mission. It's not your job to fix the church. The church is full of broken people. It will be a somewhat broken vehicle until it's perfected when with the Lord Jesus Christ. Some people think that our mission is redefining or reordering a few simple principles from the Sermon on the Mount and that is the Christian mission, but it isn't. And some think that our mission is just redefining or reordering how we do charity, charitable acts and good works. And therefore, here's the problem. Missions just becomes an expansion or a multiplication or a replication of all of these assumed principles of Christianity. And what happens is, the problem is Missions just becomes a redefined version of what we think is important to us, not what is defined by the Bible. None of those assumptions could be further from the truth. All of those things that I mentioned, they're all in and of themselves good things. They are in and of themselves things that Christians will be involved with, but they are not the thing that the Lord has called us to. They are not the mission which we should expend our time and our talent, our treasure, our energy and our prayers upon. That is getting the gospel and the preaching of the gospel to a lost and to a dying world. And that doesn't matter whether the children have full bellies or empty bellies. I know this sounds awful. It doesn't matter whether the aged are looked after or not looked after. All of those things will follow along with the gospel. But the primacy at the center of missions is to spread and preach and teach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That is the gospel by which we're saved. That is the gospel wherein you stand, First Corinthians chapter 15, 1 to 4. That is the mission that every one of us have, to take that message to the end of our street, to the end of our town, to the end of our nation, and to the othermost part of the earth. That's missions. That's it. It's not about what program you're going to use. It's not about a survey visit. It's not about the deputation and all those practical parts of missions. It's about you and I saying individually, what am I to do with this gospel? What am I to do? Where am I to go to take this message on a mission around the world? That's all it's about. And sometimes we have to get back to the simplicity because we're overwhelmed by visas, practicalities, finances, messages, surveys, can I go and all of these things. And all of those lists that I mentioned, they're not a proof of Christianity, but they should be a product of Christianity that comes out when the gospel goes. A man called G.K. Chesterton, Gilbert Keith Chesterton, he's not a man i put before you, but he wrote a quote once that interested me. He was an English writer, poet, philosopher, dramatist, lay theologian, etc. In, uh, in the 1800s, the late 1800s. Because people say this, and they say it today, and they were saying that, oh, Christianity's been tried, but it doesn't work. And he wrote this quote, which I thought was interesting. Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and not tried. Found difficult and not tried. Friends, no one said missions was going to be easy. No one said getting the gospel around the world was going to be easy. In fact, the Lord Jesus Christ said those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer, what? Persecution. So, it isn't going to be easy. So, therefore, we have to have a set definition of exactly what christianity is about we need to be settled on that what is the purpose and the primacy and then quite simply what is missions about because missions is just about christ anyone can go on a mission anyone can go short term anyone can go long term it doesn't matter whether you're young or old so long as we understand it's purely about the revelation of the lord jesus christ himself and the unveiling of the gospel To a lost and dying world, a child could understand it. A child could perform it. So, what is it that's holding us back? Is it that we're missing it? Is it that we're not understanding what it's about? Is it we're not understanding the simplicity? I think it's just the fact there's so much confusion about Christianity today. There's confusion about true Christianity out there in the world. There is confusion within the church. There is confusion of why we are here. God did not save us to come to church. We are to assemble together. We are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. But God didn't save us so that we could tick the box that the be-all and end-all of our Christian life was I came to church faithfully for my entire life and then went to be with the Lord. That's not why we're saved. The Great Commission points to you and it points to me. Go ye. That's you, singular, personal. Therefore, to all nations. And that's what we must do. But isn't it... It's not surprising that the world's confused about what Christianity is when we're getting confused about what Christianity is. It's not surprising that the world's uh, adopting all these principles of uh, charitable assistance because the church in the main, across our nation, I can't speak for Ireland, is adopting, if you will, second fiddle to the world, let, let our church, let Christians assist you with worldly assistance. And, and there's this hope, and it's a sincere hope, that by osmosis, the gospel will infiltrate the world through good deeds and actions. And that's not what we were called to, friends. If we don't make missions about Christ, then we will fail. And if we don't make it about Christ, we will make it about a remodeled version of ourselves and what we think is important and friends I really don't want it to be about a remodeled version of me and I don't know about you it's Christianity that's at the center it is not about what we define it to be so what is missions about let's come to Mark chapter 5 this morning I hope that I can go some way to answer that question and then we'll come back this evening to the book of Acts Mark chapter 5 if you have the word of God open with me would you just follow along as I read from verse 1 And they came over unto the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains and the chains had been plucked asunder by him and the fetters broken in pieces. Neither could any man tame him. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was there nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him saying send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about two thousand and were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and the country. And they went out to see what it was that was done. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coasts. And when he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed, and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. And we'll end our reading there this morning. Let's take a moment and pray. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, God, that you have Uh, seen fit Lord to empower us with the privilege of being the ambassadors of Jesus Christ and Father as ambassadors we are to go to this world with a message of Christ a message of salvation a message of hope, light and life we're to go to a world Lord that is dying and lost and in chains and pains and we're to bring hope and Father that depends upon every one of us as an individual, just playing our part. Father, as a mass we can get together and sometimes we can be convinced we're doing all that we could do to fulfil that commission that Christ gave to us in Matthew 28. But Lord, Father, you speak to us as individuals and as individuals we are to speak to individuals. So Father, I pray that we would see a world in pain, we would see a world hurting, we'd see a world that is definitely not in its right mind and most of the time, isn't properly clothed. And Father, that you would enable, empower, and encourage, and exhort us, us, to go. And Lord, I don't know if that's to the end of the street or to the end of the world, but you alone know in here this morning, I pray by your Spirit, Lord, in the short time we have, Father, that this may be uh, just a word in season that puts a final puzzle, peace in place, Lord, this would be A morning, this would be a day that somebody in here just settles the fact that they are to go where you have called them to be. So, Father, I pray you'd help us all this morning in this matter. Lord, I know I need to do more and I need to do better. I pray that my brothers and sisters in here do too, Lord, because we love you and you love us and we want to tell a world of your love for them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so what is missions all about? After that long rambling introduction, I want to break it down to three very simple principles that I hope we can all understand that I find um, uh, illumined by this text, if you will. And missions, quite simply, is bringing the light of the gospel where there is darkness, number one. Missions is bringing the light of the gospel where there is darkness. Two, missions is bringing uh, the hope of the gospel where there is hopelessness. And thirdly, missions is bringing the life of the gospel where there is lifelessness. You see, I don't have some strategy to give you. I don't have a presentation of dying children or smiling faces that will move you to tears and get you to support missions. That's not my aim this morning. My aim is not to get you to support missions. My aim is to get you to get involved with the mission, wherever you are and whoever you are. And if you can speak and you're old enough to do that, it involves you. And if you're you're aged but you still are able to keep your teeth glued in and say a few words, it involves you too because until we go to be with the Lord we all have a part to play we all have a people to speak to and, and even from our youngest members here in the congregation this morning they will speak to people in their class at school that you and I may never ever get to meet so friends every one of us must be a missionary every man a missionary so we see this man this is a familiar passage of scripture I like to use the familiar passages when I'm speaking on something that I think is so important And so much of a priority, yet so underdone. Because I don't want anybody to miss any of the meaning in obscurity. Here's a man where he had anything but light. Here's a man dwelt, indwelt by a legion of demons. Here's a man living by the tombs. Here's a man with an unclean spirit. He couldn't be any further from light. He was living in a place of death. His abode was with death. His comfort was with death and demons and devils. He was outside of society. He was on the fringes. He was on the margins. We have a man, I don't even know his name. And I haven't seen him just recently, but we've got a graveyard not far from the back of the church that I go past. And when the summer comes, this man, every Sunday I see him, he dresses in very strange clothing, a top hat with all feathers come off in it, and he puts some... Uh, a boombox thing, you know, and he puts his, his way out music on and he gets on top of the tombs, hits it off, and all afternoon, every summer long, he's on the tombs, like this, with his top hat. He's crazy. Reminds me of this man. Reminds me of this man. And I've been and spoken to, he won't even talk to me. He will not talk to me. You can't speak to him. He won't stop dancing away on the tombs and then he just vanishes. And when I listen and look at these words, I think there's still a man in our society today that is probably indwelt by devils. He's on the margins. He has no light in his life whatsoever. And he's most comfortable among the tombstones. There's no one else with him. They're not having a little rave out there on a Sunday afternoon. He is on his own and he is alone. There's no light in his life. There can't be any light in his life. Friends, there is so much darkness. And I love coming over to Southern Ireland because you know what I see? I see family is still an important thing. I see families. I see communities. They're, they're vanishing in England, but I see that still prevalent here in Southern Ireland. But you know, I'm sure that each and every one of you in your communities is aware of somebody who's on the edge, somebody who's in darkness, somebody who's not involved. You know, that one who's shut behind the door, that one who's in darkness. You've probably got somebody in your mind right now. You know, Southern Ireland is the place of darkness, the dark stuff. They, they get it in a glass, and people are lost in that darkness, throwing it down their neck, lost in drunkenness, lost to the lure of alcohol. Friends, they don't have to be mentally ill. They don't have to be demon possessed. They're just lost, sitting on the end of a bar stool in darkness, finding their hope in the bottom of a black glass or a black liquid. You see, missions is bringing the light of the gospel where there is dark. Just turn to Matthew 5. I'm sure you know it well, but I'd like us to read it this morning because I want to make this point so simple. Matthew 5, look at verse uh, 14 to 16. The words of our Lord Jesus Christ, Christ who sent us on the commission, Christ who died, was buried and rose again for us, Christ who saved us, Christ who has given us an ambassadorship, says Matthew 5, 14. Ye... That's you. That's me. That's not a plural new international version, you. This is a proper word of God, ye. It means you. Not the person next to you. Not you, plural. Not the person behind you. Not someone else who should go. It means you, Christian, dear brother or sister this morning. You are the light of the world. Isn't that scary? I sometimes meditate upon that text and I think the Lord Jesus Christ is saying to me, I am the light of the world. Now, that is a wonderful admonition. It's a wonderful encouragement, but I am daunted by that because I don't know about you, there's some days where I don't feel like the light of the world. There's some days where I am concerned for the fact that the world is dependent on me being the light of the world and some days I don't feel like the light of the world. But Jesus Christ said, ye, you this morning are the light of the world and we have to hold that. We are the light of the world. Say, what do you mean? We're the only hope this world has. So, why? Because God committed the gospel to men. Paul said, even if an angel from heaven preaches another gospel to you, let them be accursed. Why? Because God has committed the gospel to us the same men and women and boys and girls ye are the light of the world a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid behind the television set a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid behind the Xbox. a city that is set on a hill cannot behind the you put whatever your hobby is in there we're hiding away from the world because we're not recognizing that we are the light of the world we are the hope of the world we are the life of the world you say why? I'm just a ball of dirt. But the light of Christ lives in me. And it is that light of the sun through me that is the light of the world. Now, I find that a scary call, but it's important. Verse 15, Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see, that they may see, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You say, what's missions about bringing the light of the gospel to a lost and dying world who will see you and I out there among the people shining as lights in this world, seeing our good works, hearing our good words, Communicating with us because we're not trapped behind our doors. We are not trapped in the church. Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. You say, say this: My life's not all it should be, brother. Well, you know, I would go out, but you know, I, I'm clicking onto pornography. I'm watching films I shouldn't. Well, I got a foul mouth. I run around with the young crowd at school, you know, and I swear I do. You know, and uh, listen, God's word is perfect. And God's Word is pure. You and I are only perfect in Christ and you and I are only pure in Christ. Don't let the devil put you down to the point where he'll take your sin and he'll put it on your head and he'll trap you in your home and he'll trap you in the church and he will convince you you are not able to go out and be the light of the world. Look, Jesus Christ, knowing your sins, Jesus Christ, dying for your sins and my sins, knowing all that shed in his precious blood, said what? Ye are the light of the world. Say, how do I become light with the sin in my life? You get before the Lord and you confess it. And you get prayed up with the Lord and then you go out and you say, I don't know what to say. Didn't the Apostle Paul say, the preaching of the cross is foolishness to them that perish, but unto us who are saved, it's the power of God. We go and preach the gospel. You say, I don't know how to have a conversation with someone. Just preach the gospel. It's the power of God to the side. You say, I want to live a powerful and a power-filled Christian life. You know, and I've watched all the charismatics tell all about that and you know, see angels flying around the room and all that nonsense. You want a powerful Christian life? The Bible says, just go and preach the gospel. And that is what will give you power. You say, why? Because it will bring light to those in darkness. It will bring deliverance to those who are demon-possessed. It will bring light where there is nothing but darkness to madmen living among the tombs on the fringes of society. Today we would see them, uh, you know, in darkness of drugs, in darkness of despair, in darkness of alcohol. You say, I don't know how to reach them. Just go and take the gospel. Give them hope. Give them a chance. Give them light. I must move on for the sake of time this morning. Missions is bringing the light of the gospel where there is darkness. It is no more or less than that. You say, well, how does that translate if I, God calls me as a missionary to Chile? Do exactly the same as you would do here. You say, I don't speak Spanish. Learn it. God's called you there. Learn it. Failing that, set up an English school, teach them English, and then give them the gospel. There's always a way. You say, it seems overwhelming. God says, just go and be a light. It doesn't matter which country it's in. It doesn't matter where God calls you. But you know what? Here's a principle, guys. If you can't do it at home, you can't do it abroad. A lot of people are caught up with the romance of missions. God is gonna call me to a foreign shore. Oh, we're gonna go off like Adoniram Judson. We're gonna go on a boat to the Far Seas and we're gonna be missionaries and we'll send back letters to the church and they'll be thinking, isn't this wonderful? And we're building a church from bamboo and there's a mud floor and, uh, no, you're not gonna to talk to anybody in Chile if you can't talk to somebody at the end of your street. You are who you are wherever you go. You are never any more than who you are at your worst before the Lord. That's who we all are. But knowing that, in spite of that, and despite that, God says, you are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men." Secondly, we see this man, he's living in tombs. He's dwelling among tombs, bound with fetters and chains. Crazy man who breaks the chains. Look at verse 5. Always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying and cutting himself with stone. Listen, I, I cry sometimes. I'm sure all men in here cry sometimes. But it is a rare thing to see a man crying. It's a no, we live in a bit of a drama age today. No, I'm not going to get back onto men's ministry. Forget that one. I might go off track. But let me say this. It is a sad thing to see a man crying. But it is a powerful thing. That here we have a man who was always crying and cutting himself, self-harming. We call that today, don't we? Do you think that man had any hope? Living in darkness, living in tombs, living in chains, living apart from society. A man on the fringe, a man, everybody, ah, that's just mad Bob or whatever name you want to put on him. Chain him up again, his chains are broken free, we can't have him running around the town, he upsets the children, upsets the ladies, chain him up again. He's crying, and he's cutting himself, he's bleeding and society's saying, put him on the edge, get him away from the normal people. What hope could he have had? How's his life going to change? He said, It's a good job we don't live in those days today where we just marginalize those who are self harming and have no hope. No, we might not marginalize them. Do you know what we do with them today? We medicate them. I don't know what it's like in this nation. But I can tell you the children in our bus ministry who come from dysfunctional homes, you know, if they've got one parent, they're fortunate. If they've got a sober parent, it's even better. If they haven't got an abusive stepfather, they're doing really, really well. And you know what? I've never come across so many children who are who are either on medication or being forced and encouraged to take medication. Our society of intelligentsia, and if you're a psychiatrist this morning, I don't mean to insult you, but you understand you're in a subjective Field and you make objective decisions about young people. And you say, you pick up the psychiatry directory and you look at one of 500 subjective decisions about an illness and you listen to the parent who's at the wits' end, you listen to the child, you read the report from a teacher, you say, this child has got these symptoms, which is this disease, and there's the medication that the pharmaceutical companies have so wonderfully promoted for me. Let's take this 11-year-old and shove Ritalin or whatever it is down their neck. Because this child has a chemical imbalance, which, by the way, cannot be measured. Don't fall for this stuff. You say, what's that got to do? There are children without hope. Children That are marginalized. Children that are medicalized. And pushed to the fringe in the society and the edge. And do you know what they do? Self-harm. Self-harm. There is, I worked 20 years in the prison service. 20 years. I see, I saw more self-harm than I would ever want to see in a lifetime. I won't give you some of the gory details this morning, but I've seen people's insides on the outside. I've seen people put slits in every part and orifice of their body with razor blades, knives and you name it. Do you know what? No hope. Imprison them. Give them medication. Ignore them. Straightjacket them. Do whatever. Do you know what that is? A life without hope. And Christians, we are to find these people. We are not to ignore them like the world does. Our churches are going to get messy if we're living the gospel and if we're living the mission that we should live, then we will bring hope where there is no hope. You know, the Bible says, uh, Ephesians, we're dead in trespasses and sins. Children of wrath, children of disobedience. That's how we're described as when we're unsaved. If you're unsaved in here this morning, I want to tell you the Bible says you're a child of wrath, a child of disobedience, dead in trespasses and sins. Now listen, the Lord loves you and he died for you at Calvary, but at this point in time, if you're not a Christian in here this morning, if you are not saved, if you're not a Christian, if there's not a point in your life where you recognize your sinfulness, your deadness, your hopelessness and your eternal destination as separated from God in the eternal flames of the everlasting lake of fire then you are dead without light and hope this morning and God has brought you here to be saved to come to light and to come to hope this morning but if you're already saved my dear brother and sister there are people dead without hope, who are marginalized, who are medicated subdued and subjugated and somehow we have got you get back into mental institutions. We have got to get back into prisons. We have got to get to reach people on the edge of our society and that may mess the church up a little bit. That may make it a little bit smelly, a little bit crazy. Listen, uh, Brother Eric and a few of us have been over to our ministry. I, I, say, I say, what's your ministry, brother? I say, it's a ministry to the mad, bad, crazy and lazy because sometimes it just is that way. It just is. So, Why? Because I spent 20 years looking at people with no hope, 20 years seeing repeat offenders from children with no hope getting into a pattern that they got comfortable with in and out and then wasted lives. 20 years I saw the same faces in and out, in and out, in and out, out, on drugs, self-harming, doing whatever, no hope. Where can you find hope when you've lost all of the hope? Where is the hope? Where is the hope when you're so medicated you can't think clearly anymore? in Jesus Christ so what are you talking about that's our mission hope to the hopeless let's not leave people on the edge of our society without the gospel in the hope that someone else will be called to them you know we're Christians and we're going to reach the lost but not them them this man needed the Lord Jesus Christ, and Christ himself showed us the example, crying night and day, cutting himself. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. You notice that when you go on visitation on the streets, I don't know how many nut jobs you've got around here. Sorry, the, the ones on the edge of society with that hope, but I, I just use colloquialisms. But they come to me like a magnet when I'm on the street of exit. He says, they ran to Jesus. I don't mean they ran and worshipped me, but I don't have to go looking for those on the margin of society. When I stand out there preaching or attracting, they find me. Why? Because they know there's hope in Jesus Christ. But they're struggling to get beyond that sin. You say, what's this got to do with missions? This is your mission. You say, where am I supposed to go? Wherever the Lord has already told you that you are supposed to go. Just go to Romans 5. Romans 5, I'm conscious of the time, I'll be done in a moment. Romans 5. You see, it's all about hope, friends. We have a nation of young people who have no hope. Teachers are telling them they came from nowhere, they're not worth anything and they're going nowhere. They grow up believing that. Descendants of monkeys live, die, makes no difference. I don't know if it's the same here. But child suicide, child self-harm and child medication is up by drastic proportions in the UK. You say, what? Children have got no hope. If you're constantly told you came from nowhere, you're worth nothing other than what you can get by your own bootstraps. Oh, and by the way, you're going nowhere after this. Is this so great that it would give you hope? Hope is in Christ. But look, Romans 5 verse 1, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope, the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope. And hope maketh not a shame for the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. You say, what's my mission? Light to those in darkness. Hope to the hopeless. And lastly, it's bringing the life of the gospel where there is lifelessness. This man was besieged by a legion of devils. Now, there's 2,000, the Bible says, 2,000 devils in him. I mean, a legion, there's a legion there, 6,000 Roman soldiers. This man had 2,000 devils in him. I can't even begin to imagine what his life was like. He didn't have a life. His life was controlled, it was owned. He was a child of the devil, a child of Satan. And Jesus Christ steps in onto the scene. And those devils know who he is. And they're worried. Send us into a herd of swine! Uh, this is not the time to torment us! Don't let anybody tell you there's no such thing as hell even the devils know there is a time of their torment and anguish to come. Now, listen, folks. You've got to understand the reason our mission is important because there are 7 billion people in this world and I would guess at least 6 billion of them are going to hell. There's a time of torment that's revealed right here in the text. That torment was not just for this life. They said there's a time to come that we will be tormented, but it is not now. If you're not saved in here this morning, let me tell you, friend, you might be a millionaire for all I know. You might be living the high life. You might be like the rich man in Lazarus, but there is a time to come when your sins will take you to a place of torment. And you need to be saved. But beyond that, friends, we're talking about mission this morning. We've got to look at soul. We've got to see beyond the surface. We've got to see beyond the irritation. We've got to see beyond our comforts and our pleasures and our leisures. And we've got to see a world that is dying and going to hell to a time of torment to come and bring life where there is lifelessness. John 1 4, in him, who? The Lord Jesus Christ. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. Do you see where there is light, there is life. Where there is life, there is light? Anyway, this man, he gets saved from his devils. And we find him clothed and in his right mind and the Lord Jesus Christ sends the devils into a herd of swine and off they go over the cliff and they drown. And the dead pigs float was a question I asked myself once. And there he is in his right mind. And the people who'd ignored him for years, they came and see him saved and they were what, the Bible says? They were afraid. Anybody ever looked at you funny when you got saved? Verse 15, they were afraid. Friends, our life changes when we get saved. We become clothed and for the first time in our life, we are in our right mind. So we are the only ones who can go to a world who's in its wrong mind and show them the truth. Will they be afraid? Yes. Will they mock? Yes. Will they ridicule? Yes. Will they reject? Yes. But some will be saved. We must bring the life where there is lifelessness. But look, verse 18, And when he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Jesus, let me come with you for the first time in my life, I've got light, I've got hope, I've got life, And it's in you. It's all around you. Jesus, let me in the boat with you. I want to come with you. Jesus, I don't even care where you're going. I'm going to go wherever you're going. And Jesus said, No. i got a task for you. Go and find your friends. Go and find your family. Go and find your community. And tell them how great things the Lord hath done. You. Go and tell your world about me. Go and tell them. So we close with that this morning. Go and tell others. How many people have you led to the Lord this year? This isn't a, this isn't a figures campaign, and that's a rhetorical question. How many people have you led to Jesus Christ this year? And you say, oh, "Well, I haven't led anybody to Christ this year." Okay, it's not about figures. Let me ask you this how many people have you tried to share the gospel with? I don't mean just hand-attract. I don't mean just preach. I mean personally, have you tried to tell them the gospel? Can you imagine what the church and the world would look like, this church would look like, if we could only lead two people to the Lord each this next year? Listen, I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to you. Go tell others. Within just a couple of centuries, of the Lord Jesus Christ doing this historical act in our bible the world had been turned upside down by a learned and ignorant men a world empire had been overthrown by the Lord Jesus Christ in the power of the holy spirit being witnesses unto him witnesses unto him so what's missions about witnesses unto him started with just a few people with absolutely nothing to commend them, absolutely nothing to recommend them, no internet, no smartphone, no YouTube. None of that. Go tell others. It's okay to use the internet, it's okay to use the mobile phone, it's okay to put messages on YouTube if you must, but it does not replace the fact that we are committed personally and commissioned personally to personally go and tell others. That's the purpose of missions. These people were preaching and teaching that Jesus Christ himself had the power to bring light and hope and life. That gathering demoniac is dead and with the Lord today. Peter dead and with the Lord. Paul dead and with the Lord. James dead and with the Lord. George Mueller dead and with the Lord. Adam and Judson dead and with the Lord. When it comes to missions, we're always looking backwards, aren't we? Who will go? Who will speak? Who will tell? Don't try and tell me there is no one in this room this morning that God is not dealing with about missions because I know he's commanded us to go. I know God is dealing with somebody about surrendering to a local or a global mission field this morning, last week, and next week. I'm not a prophet. I know it because the Scriptures reveal it. Just like John Ryland. Have we decided on all the reasons why our enthusiasm to go is nothing more than misery? Are we concentrating on our careers? our families, our learning, our studies, so that I can then get a job, so that I can then do this, so that I can then do that, so that eventually, at some point, somewhere, somehow, down the road, at an indistinct point of time, at one point, I will do something for the Lord. It will never happen. Today is the day. Today. We don't have tomorrow, but it's not thyself tomorrow. For thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Oh, well, I, I, my career, my family. If God calls you. Leave your career. Take your family with you. I don't know what God is speaking to you about this morning in missions. I know in this text there was a man, there was a miracle, and there was a mandate to go and tell others. I know that Jesus Christ, the Lord, after His resurrection, gave us a mandate to go and tell others, to be witnesses unto Him. I know that holds until the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. So, I know that the Bible is not just history, it is prophecy. I know that it is not just an experience, but it is truth for us today. And I know that we're not getting it done and I know I'm as guilty as anybody in not getting it done. It's not my job to make you feel guilty this morning. That's not what I'm trying to do, folks. What I'm trying to do this morning is say, there is more that's you, not we, that you need to do and I know that God is dealing with somebody today don't forget that God has put his finger on your heart he is unsettling you don't resettle yourself let God unsettle you to do something incredible for him and be mightily used of the Lord what's missions about? Just go and tell someone the gospel. That's it. Forget everything else. That's all it's about. Wherever that is, whoever that is, whenever that is, you are the one to do it. Let's pray. Father, help us, Lord, and shackle us from the burdens that surround us. Help us to let go, Lord, of many of the things in this life that we are spending time on and with. The things that get in the way are good things, Lord, not evil things, not wicked things, but they're things that every one of us, Lord, has in the way. That could be hobbies, it could be studies, could be excuses. God, I don't know. I, I don't know every individual in this room. I, I know what you've done to unsettle me in my life, Lord, and I, I, I know how much more there is that I need to do. And God, I know that every one of these folks in here that are saved this morning, that, Lord, you have something specific for them to do. And it's in this area of missions. So, Lord, I just pray this morning that somehow, and we've hardly touched this text today, God, but somehow you will remind us that we are to bring light to the dark, hope to the hopeless, and life to the lifeless. That is our job to bring Christ in us and the gospel of life and truth to a lost, dying, hopeless, senseless, medicated, conditioned, partitioned world. And Lord, I I just pray that you are going to do great and mighty things. And Father, I know this, it doesn't matter whether you're 50, 60, 70, 5, 8 or 10 in here this morning. Lord, you want us all to go and share that gospel. I don't know how, who or where, but you do. And so Father, I pray this morning that you will Unsettle someone to the point they cannot be settled again. As Paul said, necessity is laid upon me. Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Lord, help us to feel that this morning, that we cannot be settled until we get busy about the business of missions. Father, help us with that, we pray. Empower us and lead us to do something for Christ in these days. In Jesus' name we pray.